While you remain standing, I would like to offer the scripture lesson for the sermon today. I'll be reading from the 90th Psalm, the first 11 verses. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 11. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth or even the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or like a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, and they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass, which changes. In the morning it flourishes and changes. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Thus far the reading of God's word and all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit. May your word be our guide and your spirit our guard and continue to shape us more and more into your pleasure. Through Jesus we pray and amen. You may be seated. The 90th Psalm is called A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. This Psalm is often included as part of the soundtrack of funerals, and it is heard at many gravesides. At the graveside, the people are there gathered to remember. At the graveside, the casket contains the body. A portion of the earth maws open, gaping, ready to receive both casket and body, which shall be covered with the earth. It is then for those gathered amidst the shared memories, the embraces, and the tear-moistened stories, the heartaches, and perhaps even some relief after a necessary and long-awaited end. It is at such times that the words of this psalm are commonly heard. Life was present Life has departed. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The reality of death is before each one of us. You could say it is on the agenda. If death wrote letters or emails, those could be signed off as eventually yours. In the book and the movie Book Thief, the narrator 
was none other than death. It has been said that the death rate or the mortality rate among human beings is 100%. Thus, Lutheran minister Harold Sinkbile wrote, Ever since Eden, life has been lived graveside. It is in this psalm, as elsewhere in the Bible, that our Lord does not back down from the reality of death. Our Lord uses many terms to refer to death in this psalm, almost like brush strokes. As the Lord paints the canvas of this psalm. Here are a few of them. In verse 3, turning man back into dust. Again in verse 3, return, O children of men. Verse 4, a thousand years is like a day. Like yesterday when it passes. There's an elderly couple in Phoenix, Arizona, that would use this passage and they came up with a phrase for each other. They knew they were approaching the precipice. And Bob Bonson was in hospice care. The church gathered around his bed and down the halls of the corridor and they sang psalms and hymns and he said to his wife, I'm ready to go. But each night, when they didn't know if they would see the other on the next day, they had a phrase for each other. Virginia might say to Bob, or Bob might say to Virginia, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, sweetheart. A thousand years is like a day. Like yesterday when it passes. The passage goes on with other brush strokes. Like a watch in the night. Where did that go? Verse 5. We are swept away. Oh, we fall asleep. Verses 5 and 6. The grass grows and changes. At the end of verse 6. In the evening it fades and just withers away. Verse 9. Our days have declined. We have finished our years like a Sigh, or like a murmur, or like a tale told. The end of our lives are like a tale told. In verse 10, these days and these years are then gone and we fly away. Whatever your age, whether you are 14 or 27 or 73, your life is lived on the edge of the grave. That long black cloud is coming down. We all have an expiration date. One of Axl Rose's lyrics was taken from what was shouted at him by a homeless man in New York City. 
A young William Bruce Rose Jr. stepped off the bus as a young man, and a homeless man screamed at him, You know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby, and you're going to die. Even if some don't think much about this, it's true. All of this aligns with what the Bible has been teaching from the garden going forward. Long before the lonely death of Eleanor Rigby, who was buried along with her name, our Lord told us of our vapor-like existence. James 4, 14. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Or the prayer of Psalm 39. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days like handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. And every man walks about as a phantom. This biblical message about our brief lives, our wispy, vapor-like, passing, fluid lives, shall be called vaporology. And because this is true, we are given the gift of this psalm. We ought to be thankful for recorded and written prayers, for through these we learn how to approach and address the Lord. The 90th psalm, this prayer of Moses, begins with reflections and these are reflections about death because Moses' life was surrounded by death. Spurgeon said it well. Moses saw men dying all around him. He lived among funerals. Even though Moses lived to be 120 years old, he mentions in verse 10 that the 70 to 80 years seem to be the days of our lives. 70 to 80 years, the possible package of our existence. We do not know how old Moses was when he wrote this psalm, but we do know he was surrounded by death, and his prayer includes this reality and these reflections. So an aged and reflective Moses looked over the landscape of his life. What would have come to mind? An aged Moses reflecting. Lean in and listen. It's not just that old men sit and talk about the weather or old women sit and talk about old men, Moses here presents life and death. 
the giver of life and the one who takes life. Reflections. What about Moses' storied life? Maybe Garrison Keillor was on to something when he said, when you get old, there are no answers, only stories. Yes, that's the same Garrison Keillor of the Prairie Home Companion who would comment on Lake Wobegon saying, where all the women are strong and all the men are good looking and all the children are above average. Like these children. If you want to be a little bit more religious, here's another Keeler storyteller quote. Keeler is the guy who said, anyone who thinks sitting in church can make you a Christian must also think sitting in a garage can make you a car. Psalm 90. This prayer of Moses begins with reflections. And it ends with requests Two weeks on Psalm 90. Today, we will take a look at the reflections, verses 1 through 11. Next week, Lord willing, we'll take a look at the requests, verses 12 through 17. There. Moses lived a storied life, and those events shaped his existence and fueled this prayer. So let's begin with reflections and do some ourselves. Moses' life was surrounded by death. At his birth, there was a standing government order to kill the baby boys. Moses grew a bit. He had a conflict with an Egyptian. The Egyptian was killed and buried in the sand. The plagues upon Egypt, culminating in the death of the firstborn. Then there was death by immersion. The death by immersion of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea with bodies washing up the seashore. After that, there were death threats in the wilderness. 3,000 died in the golden calf incident. There was death while quail was still between the teeth of the eaters. What followed that? A severe plague followed, and the place was actually named Kibroth Hata'ava, Graves of Greediness, or Graves of Craving. What about the cowering of the spies? We can't do that. And the result that they, they and everyone 20 years old and up we're going to die in the wilderness. What about the earth opening up and receiving the families of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and On? Right after that, 250 with their censers, dead. After that, because of the grumbling, over 14,000 died. As Moses traveled upon the earth, that same earth was often opened with many graves. We read the pages of Exodus and Numbers, and we turn the page, and we say, that was then, that was them. But for Moses, that was an us. 
thus this prayer. The 90th Psalm is a lifetime psalm. It travels with us through all of our days, right through to the end. From birth to death. The psalm opens with the Lord God giving birth to the mountains, to the earth, and to the world. And it is from this creation that we come forth. We have come from the earth and we shall go back to the earth. So verse 3, you turn man back into dust. Genesis 3.19, you will return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So long before Kansas high-pitched dust in the wind, the Lord gave us Genesis 3.19. And Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Moses was surrounded by funerals, and so are we. Thus this psalm. Now many youths don't dwell much on such things. They have too much life to live, too much to do. They can't be late. They leave with plenty of time and they shaking hands with the clock. I can't stop. I'm on a roll and I'm ready to rock. They join with Alabama and that's the attitude of their lives. But they all will stop. Moses' prayer is built upon his life experiences and reflections, and ours is too. I, would, I will now share one reflection. I was blessed with parents who were rather older than the parents of many others my age. <clears throat> this brought to me an early awareness of the reality of losing them, and this hit with an emotional and abreactive wave one Sunday afternoon. I was 18 years of age and attending college out of town. Our college had three-day weekends, and it was not baseball season, I'd return home Thursday evening and stay through worship Sunday morning to worship with my father and mother. I'd then leave on Sunday afternoon after lunch and one particular Sunday afternoon it was time to make the three-hour drive back to the dormitory. Having hugged and kissed my mom goodbye, my father walked me to the front door to share his goodbyes. I loaded both my bag and my body into my 1974 Toyota Corona, the color of which resembled spoiled Gerber baby food, something of a swirl of sweet carrots, sweet potatoes, mustard, and squash. 
I pulled out of the driveway and started down the street. And just before starting to roll away, I looked at the front door of the house and saw my father was still standing there. A fixture, a sentry, on post, one of my heroes, a watching father. Seeing me off, one hand raised, and as I began to roll down the street, hand and eyes tracked with me. It was quite an image, and the thoughts started rushing in. Knowing of the inevitability of death and aware of the age of my parents, I began to wonder, would that be the last time I would see my dad? Would that become my final etched memory? All of that hit me. Hard. Tears welled up and blurred my vision. I made it to the end of the street. I pulled off the road and I cried. Here I was, college student, college baseball player, studying law enforcement, reduced to a shaking little boy again. A weighty reality and a weighty preparation. Dad's departure was inevitable, and this reality needed biblical shaping. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and five short years later, Avimut, my father, died. By that time, I had started preparing for the ministry, and my father's funeral was the first at which I stood to officiate. Actually, co-officiate. My father's death was not the death of a rebel like many of those surrounding Moses. His death was according to the course of human events. That which comes to us all, it was inevitable. And it resulted in a time of the giving of thanks. I'd rather have had him, warts and all, than have not had him at all. It was a blend of grief and gratitude. To this day, my father and mother's Bibles are in view of my office desk. Mom's passing and funeral is a whole nother story. To this day, Dad's key ring, which he started using during World War II, is what he would let me hold during church. I believe he did this because that was his way of helping me with my boyish ecclesiastical condition known as ants in my pants. So even in the 1960s and 70s, the kids of our family 
sat with mom and dad. Part of the worship service in our Baptist church. So after dad's passing, I asked for two things. Dad's Bible and his key ring. The lessons of our vapor-like existence are etched into our histories, into our stories, into our families, into our very own existence. Thus, Psalm 90 is given. Vaporology. In conclusion, two final observations. We read this psalm and we must conclude from the beginning of the reflections. God is eternal and we are passing. The history of the world. One stays while all the others depart. The Lord is our constant dwelling place and has been so for all generations. He is the one who gave birth to the mountains, to the earth, and to the world. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. Back and there. You are God and we are not. The Lord remains and we are momentary. A glorious contrast and a sober reality. What do we do with this? One final observation. We are sinful and God knows all. Verse 8. You have placed our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Is it any wonder that this psalm in presenting the death which surrounds us all and is upon us all, also brings up something else which surrounds us all and is upon us all. We are sinful. Our sinfulness surrounds us and is upon us. Even of those sins which we might be deceived into thinking are secret or hidden. Hebrews 4.13, There is no creature hidden from his sight, no, not one, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And by the way, in verse 8, who brings up our sins? Who brings up your sins? Verse 8 says, You, Lord, you eternal one, who knows all, you have brought our sins into the light of your presence. Our secret sins into the light of your presence. We persist in sin. And the eternal one persists with us. How? Where? All is known. And it's not that we have brought forth our sins in confession. Oh Lord, here they are. In this psalm, it's not that we have recited our sins with some kind of precise articulation and accuracy. We cannot. It's not that we are acting and, worship and working and bringing our sins to the Lord. Lord, please do something with this. No. It's the Lord who is eternal, who takes our sins, even those that we think no one else knows about, and brings them into light, his light, 
into the light of his presence. We need to end this, these reflections. But if a sermon is going to be scriptural, it ought to do what the scriptures do, and the scriptures speak of Jesus. If a sermon is supposed to be of the Holy Spirit, the sermon ought to do what the Holy Spirit does and point to Jesus. So this one who is everlasting, this one who knows all, what does he do with this? The death sentence upon each one of us and the fact of abiding sin upon each one of us. He enters in. He enters in. We are enveloped in death and surrounded by sin, and we now get the point. Let's look away from ourselves and look to him. Look to Jesus Christ, who was also enveloped in death in order to deal with our sins. To God be the glory, great things he has done. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.